Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh returns to the book of Romans. In this sermon, we are taught that justification by faith alone is clearly shown in the Old Testament. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 as Pastor Josh delivers his sermon titled, How Can I Be Right with God? Let's turn our attention uh, to the word. Let me back us up um, to chapter 3, verse 21. Now, we're going to study chapter 4. Our main text today is the first five verses, but for the sake of understanding, for a moment, pretend that the chapter break is not there. Chapter breaks are helpful. The verses were put in there afterwards, they're, they're helpful. Sometimes they can make us think that there's a, a division that's not actually there. The flow of thought continues from chapter three into chapter four. So let's back up to chapter three, verse 21, and let's read. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed, God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not to the one who works. His wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, our God, Father, we come and ask that you have mercy on us as we study your word. Father, there are so many ways that this time could be wasted, that no benefit come, but we ask for grace. I ask God that you protect this time. I ask God that you work, you move, you stir, you do the miraculous things that you do through your word, that it not return to you empty or void, but that it accomplishes powerful things in its midst. So God, all of us who are sons and daughters gathered in the room, all who have come to you by faith in Christ, we, your sons and daughters, cry out and say, we want to benefit. We want to obey you. 
We want to grow and we want to see your glory, your amazing worth and greatness through the truths that you have for us in the word. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that worship. I pray, God, that we listen, we heed, we respond, we resolve even here to obey. And God, that you change our thinking, transform all the ways we see the world so that we understand your truths rightly, any in the room that are not yet sons and daughters not yet in the kingdom because they have not turned to Christ to be saved. Please, God, make this the day that it happens, that they are awakened to faith. I need a thousand helps and graces to preach in a way that's right, accurate, truthful, helpful. Help me to do that. Not to mess this up, oh God. Bless us for the glory of your name, for your name. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Well, it has been um, six weeks uh, since we've been in the book of Romans. So we're uh, studying through this book together. We took a, a brief break to go look at some other things. And now we're diving back into the deep theology we have here. So I want to take three, four minutes here and kind of uh, show us what's happening in the passage here. Because one of the things that we've been pointing out is book of Romans is not just a collection of random truths that are like thrown all together. Um, as you're studying the Bible, a, a lot of times as we're reading, we can understand each individual verse, but it's harder to see how does each verse connect to the context and the, the flow of thought through the whole thing. But really the key to understanding the message of the Bible is seeing how does this connect to the whole thing, the whole line of reasoning. The book of Romans is a, a lengthy logical argument that is being shown to prove and explain the gospel, that central message of the Bible. The gospel is the good news that is the message you have to know in order to have eternal life. The gospel is made up of, of numerous truths brought together and we need to understand each of the individual parts to understand the whole message of the gospel. And so what this book has been doing is um, it began with, uh, if you just look back, chapter one, verse 16 and 17, that's the central idea of the whole argument. Everything in the book can be summarized by what we're told there in verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God, there is a righteousness that is given as a gift from God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. And then starting in the very next verse there, you see for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We began to see that God is actively right now pouring out his wrath on the earth. There's wrath to come, but he's already begun pouring out that wrath now. If somebody said, well, why? That sounds kind of mean. Why is God pouring out his wrath? The rest of the chapter answers that question. Because all of mankind, we know about God, but we do not honor God as God, do not treat him as God, do not worship him as we have an obligation to and as he commands. And we all knowingly break his law, the law of God's written on our hearts. We know right from wrong, even those who don't have access to the scriptures, we break God's law. Chapter two went on to explain that even to the religious man, 
Your religion does not exempt you from this condition. Oh, the religious people who, who have different ways that they're making themselves feel right with God by their spiritual activities and such, your sin might be less than others, but what the scripture said here is it points a bony finger at each of us and says, even you who think of yourselves as religious, your sin may be less, but your sin still breaks the law of God and you deserve a justice from God a punishment, whatever that justice would be. And chapter two and three went on to tell us what that justice is. We deserve death. We deserve more than physical death. We deserve the truest definition of death, of bearing the wrath of God. This is what you and I deserve. But the big reveal the big dramatic moment in the book came in chapter three, verse 21. What you have there in verses 21 to 28 are an eight verse summary of the gospel and everything that will be looked at here. Starts off, but now, now there's a way that's been revealed from God that though you and I deserve wrath, God has designed a way, God has made a way, accomplished a way for us to have a righteousness, to be counted as right with God, to be declared innocent, not guilty in his sight. And therefore, if we're right with God, then we can have eternal life. It is a righteousness that you do not conjure up yourselves. You don't make it. You don't achieve it. You don't earn it. You don't create it. It's a righteousness outside of yourself that is given to us by faith in Christ. The gospel is the message of how God made a way through his son to accomplish the atonement that our sins deserve so that all who come to God through Christ in faith will have eternal life because we've been made right with God. That's the quick little overview that we've seen so far. But that message has a lot of working parts. That message has a lot of individual truths coming together. You, you might think of the gospel like a recipe and all the individual truths are ingredients to the recipe. And this is a particular kind of recipe where you can't miss a single ingredient or at the end, there's nothing. Okay, like I know, like I'm not a baker. I'm really, really bad at it. Just ask my family every time that I try, it's disastrous. There are some recipes you can, oops, forgot the salt. It's not as good, but it still turns out. Gospel's not like that. Gospel is like every ingredient, every truth has to be there in order for at the end, what you have is the actual gospel. If you get wrong who Jesus is, is no gospel at the end. If we mess up or miss or get wrong, corrupt the individual truths, we get this. And there are a lot of truths that are a part of this message that we must know in order to be right with God. And every, every truth that is a part of the gospel is resisted by someone. Unbelievers reject, uh, unbelievers re refuse to accept 
many parts of the gospel. Somewhere out there, somebody rejects every single one of them. Different groups reject different ones of them. And so here is what the Spirit of God moved Paul to do in this letter. In each of the coming chapters, he's going to take one of the truths of the gospel that we have looked at and then going to give a a further and deeper explanation of it. And then there will also be some arguing to prove that it's true. So for instance, the message of the gospel tells you and I, you, you are foul. You are a sinner. You have broken the law of God and it is a big deal. You deserve death. You're not righteous. You're not right with God. The unbeliever hears that. The skeptic hears that and goes, well, that's kind of mean. I I think I'm a pretty good person here. I I, I think I do just great. And so what happens then is chapter three, (laughs) an anvil is dropped on your ego so that both using logic and the word of the living God, scripture that God had spoken in the Old Testament comes together to prove to you by the time you're done reading verses nine through 20, you're laying on the floor groveling, crying out for mercy and going, I am a sinner. What the scripture has done is further explained our sin and work to prove it to the one who doubted it. Well, what's gonna happen for the next eight chapters is that over and over again, different truths that that happens to. Chapter four The subject is faith. Chapter five, the subject will be um, blessings of justification and then imputation. By the way, when I use that kind of word, imputation, don't know what that means. Don't think, oh, I can't come to church here. No, hang in there, okay? We're gonna study those things. Chapter six will address this question of, if I'm saved by faith, then how do my good works come into play? How do, how do works and faith come together? That's chapter six. Chapter seven is how do, I, how do I interact with the law of God? Chapter eight is the glory of these things. I am so ready for chapter eight. Can't wait, but we gotta set the foundation before we get there. Chapters nine, 10, and 11 is looking at that the gospel is for every person, every tribe, tongue, people, nation, the Jew and Gentile relationship, and a whole lot of other subpoints and multitudes of truths along the way, but that's what's happening here. The gospel is has been told to us. Now let's go deeper. Let's swim to the bottom. Let's keep treading out in the ocean of God's truths to know him more. And if you're not convinced, the scripture works to prove it to you. This morning we begin looking at this part of the gospel that we are saved by faith and not by our works. And that is highly argued by both the religious and the non-religious. Every religion of the world teaches some form of self-salvation. Islam, Hinduism, pagan religions, etc. If you look at them, every form teaches somehow, they would, may not use the word righteousness, But at the end of the day, their message is you acquire, you make yourself right with Allah or the millions of gods of Hinduism or whatever. The religion of our culture, which is, all right, what does the average American believe? That hodgepodge mixing of ideas from some of it from Christianity, a lot of it from Hollywood, Whatever my favorite celebrities are saying, this whole mixing of all of the things that get told there, 
It teaches things like you have all that you need inside of yourself. We're all good. Hey man, you are enough. And if there is a God, I mean, we don't know if there is, but if there is a God, we're all going to heaven because we're all good. God is the celestial Santa Claus of the sky. And so even though they would not use the language of salvation by works or self-achieved righteousness, they wouldn't use those words to describe what they believe, but that is what it is. That's how the Bible looks in and interprets what they believe. The whole idea of I'm already good, so I'm already right with God, that is salvation by works. That is rejecting the idea that I'm not right with God and I need something outside of myself and I receive it by faith. And sadly, even off of Christianity, there are false gospels that teach, they get, they get some of the parts right. Jesus died for your sins. Yes. Jesus rose from the dead. Yes. You can have heaven. Amen. But here's then where they begin to part ways. And now if you do the good deeds that we tell you to do, the good religious works that you, we tell you to do, then you will make it to heaven. Be religious in the way we tell you, and in the end, you will be okay. That is rejecting that we are justified, made right with God by faith. So friends, false religions, secularism, and false gospels all deny that we are justified by faith. Because justification by faith, friends, it shatters our ego. See, if we lose justification by faith, one of the things that we gotta understand is there are half a dozen other truths that fall with it. If you lose justification by faith, then at the end of the day, you think of yourself as saving yourself. At the end of the day, if you lose justification by faith, you lose the whole purpose of why Jesus died and rose again, why his atonement was necessary. Justification by faith declares, I am unable to save myself. I am desperately in need of God's grace. I cry out to you and seeing that it is a gift that comes to us. This is why so many reject it. It's the same reason why so many reject the doctrine of election. Because I want to hold on to some of the credit for myself. At the end of the day, I want to believe that I did this. I made myself right with God. Thank you very much. Justification by faith declares you have nothing that you can do to earn a right standing with God. If you don't get it by grace, given as a gift, you have no chance. And we see that God say in the scripture, this is why he made it this way. So chapter four works to prove all of this, takes us deeper into our understanding of it. So no matter where you are this morning, if you're not convinced that what we teach is what the Bible teaches, God's going to argue with you this morning. He wins. But if you already believe this, you could be sitting there going, mm, pastor, I, I already believe you. Okay. We were here for chapter three. It was said more than 10 times that we're saved by faith. I believe you. Can I just zone out? No. God is working to take us deeper into the truth so that we see more of it. So um, I see seven primary truths taught in chapter four. 
We will not cover all of them today, obviously. Let me give them to you at the beginning. Um, you can write them down if you want. I'll be sharing them with you over the next several weeks. But, but here they are just so that you kind of see them. Number one, justification by faith alone was how sinners were brought to peace with God in the Old Testament. Number two, justification by faith alone is proven by God saving Abraham. Number three, justification by faith alone is proven by God saving David. Number four, justification by faith alone is proven by circumcision. All this is coming later in the chapter, parts we didn't read yet. Number five, justification by faith alone is the only way that the promises made to Abraham can be fulfilled. Number six, justification by faith alone was God's design so that salvation would come by grace. And number seven, justification by faith alone is the only way that you and I will be credited as righteous before God. So, that's what we will work through in the chapter. Many sub points along the way. Two of those points, the first two I mentioned, are covered in the first five verses we talked about. So that's what we'll study this morning. So let's get into the text here. And the first point is justification by faith alone was how sinners were brought to peace with God in the Old Testament. This point is kind of an overview of the whole thing. Throughout the whole of this chapter, the Spirit of God moves Paul to, to prove this truth by the Old Testament. In other words, friends, this part, this truth of the gospel is one that the Israelites should have already known. In the Old Testament, God taught his people true religion. But over time, okay, this is just a principle. Watch it. Men will always corrupt religion. Men will always try to change what God has ordained. Look what our culture is trying to do to marriage as designed by God. But throughout the Old Testament, you see God explaining to his people, teaching his people, giving them true worship, true knowledge of himself, the true way to seek God, and how to be made right with God, how to be saved. Friends, that's what religion is. Religion is understanding how we come to know God, how we seek God, how we worship God, and how in the end we can be right with God. I've mentioned before that sometimes people use the word religion like it's a dirty word. You know, sometimes seen those like little coffee mug cliches. God hates religion. Listen, God uses the word religion in the Bible. God has given us religion that just simply explains how we come to know him and worship him rightly and how we come to be saved. In the Old Testament, God gave true religion, but over the course of time, sinful men corrupted it. The only way that you get back to the truth when religion has been corrupted is to stop coming up with your beliefs from your own mind Stop listening to what other humans' opinions are and you come back to the word itself. We don't make stuff up ourselves. We see that God is the one who gives these things to us. But by the way, all oh, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but by the way, the word Protestant just simply refers to those who protest the man-made changes and corruptions to the gospel and true religion that had, that had taken place over history. And we've sought to come back to the scriptures. But the Israelites, similar thing in the Old Testament. God had given true religion. God had spoken the way to be right with him in the Old Testament. 
but similar things happen. Sometimes it's actually uncanny, by the way. Whenever you read the Old Testament and the ways that people corrupted what God had given them, corrupted their beliefs, corrupted their worship, corrupted the the practices and things there. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. It gets recycled and repackaged. But the same corruptions that you see in the Old Testament were done in the early church. And that's what a lot of the letters of the New Testament are. They're addressing the corruptions that even within the first few decades of the gospel coming of corruptions and man-made changes, but the same things happen today. The same attacks that were happening in the first century, friends, they're still happening today. We haven't moved on past them. Satan just keeps repackaging the same lies over and over again. But here is a corruption of true religion that many had made um, amongst the Jewish people. God has designed, even from the book of Genesis, that souls would be forgiven of their sins, made right with God by faith. But over the course of time, many of the rabbis had developed a legalistic kind of religion, a self-righteous kind of religion. And they taught that you're righteous by your good deeds, that if you are a good Jew, you make sure that you've been circumcised, you make sure that you keep these parts of the law that we tell you to do. And then they had all kinds of justifications for why ways they broke God's law, why it was, it was really okay because of this explanation I give you. They come up with this whole system that if you do these things we tell you, then you will be right with God. But that's a distortion. And throughout chapter four, God uses the examples of Abraham, David, circumcision, the law, and the promises of the Old Testament, all as evidence that salvation by faith has been the way to be made right with God ever since the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, they were given a law to obey. Remember when we studied the covenant of works and the law of God they were given? Adam and Eve were given a chance to be righteous by their good deeds. They broke that. And ever since that day, God in mercy opened another way to be right with him through faith. And because we're incapable of achieving righteousness by our works, God could have just left us on our own, but God made this way through faith. Now, the Old Testament believers, they didn't understand all of the elements They didn't understand all of the elements of the gospel. There are many parts of them that were mysterious, but God called them to trust him. And when doing that, they were made right with him. And so watch this, friends. This part of the gospel is not new. This part of the gospel is taught to us even in the book of Genesis, which is a point he's going to make here in just a little bit. But I also think that this is relevant to us because of this. Many times it is believed by Christians. Have you ever heard this one? Another misunderstanding of the Bible. Many times it's believed by Christians that in the Old Testament, people were saved by works, but in the New Testament were saved by faith. You ever heard that one? That's oftentimes even preached by pastors and things. That's why we need the book of Romans. That's why we need to study. That's why we need to go in. Part of the point that is made here is, look, this part of the gospel is not new. It's always been by faith ever since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and took that shameful walk out of that place that God had designed. 
Justification by faith is not new. In the Old Testament, there were two ways that you could be right with God. Just like today, there are two ways you can be right with God. Before you take the stones out of your purse and hurl them up here, hang on just a second. Theoretically, theoretically, there are two ways to be right with God, Old Testament and New Testament. Some of you all who are parents here, if you happen to have a child, and ever since your child was a baby, your child has not yet broken any of God's laws and shows complete perfection, and you can keep that going, where your child has absolute perfection and then ensure that for the rest of their life, they fully, completely keep all of God's law, never breaking even a part down to the dot of an I, then listen to me very carefully. Your little baby doesn't need to be saved by Jesus. Oh, your little child will come to love Jesus, but your child won't need to be saved by Jesus. But we all know, your little baby ain't done that. Ain't going to do that. We are a race of sinners. We all break the law of God. And therefore, that option, nixed out, we have no way of being righteous according to obedience to God. And he did not have to open another way. But in the mercy of God, to save a people by his kindness so that we would become a people who love him and adore him and worship him forever. He made another way. That way is, I will grant you righteousness when you come and trust in me. And that's been the case ever since the Old Testament. Let's start to see that. Point number two, justification by faith alone is proven by God saving Abraham. In these first uh, five verses, I see five truths here spoken that are a part of Abraham's example. I'll give them to you as A, B, C, D, and E. So letter A, look at verse two with me. For if Abraham was justified by works, so he's posing that theoretically. All right, if you believe that you're saved by works. All right, if Abraham, if that's how he was justified, if that's how he was made right with God, he has something to boast about but not before God. Here, here's what that means. If it were the case that you achieved entrance into heaven by how good you were, then you could look at others who were not saved and you could feel exalted over them. If your obedience, your religiosity, your good deeds and such made you right with God, you would have some grounds to look around at unsaved people and say, I really am better than them. But that's not the way the salvation comes. You and I have no right to boast. Listen, listen to me very carefully. We have no right to boast over other Christians. We also have no right to boast over non-Christians. You are saved and whenever you look at someone who is unconverted, you and I have no grounds for even an inch of thinking, I really am better than him because I'm saved. When we learn the whole gospel, that I did nothing to earn this. I'm not saved because I'm great. All I did was receive God's work, Christ's work on my behalf. And then when we come to learn, as Book of Romans teaches us as well, that even my desire for that didn't come from within me. God had to come and do some things inside of me, even to make me want that, to help me have faith and turn to him. We have not a millimeter 
of boasting or exaltation that we can feel over anyone. We have not worked or achieved anything. All of it has been done by the grace of God. We received it by faith and even that faith was helped. Letter B, Abraham was justified by faith. Look at verse three. For what does the scripture say? Oh, I want to pause there for just a second. Don't you just love the beginning of that verse there? This is how you know God. This is how you know how to seek God. This is how you know how to worship. This is how you know how to be saved. The question for every element of what do we believe can never be, must never be decided by what do I think? What do my favorite celebrities think? What does Pastor Josh think? What does the Pope think? None of that can, no question can ever be decided by that. The question is, what does scripture say? What does scripture say? This is where we get our cues. And I, I, I repeat again what I've said many, many times. Don't ever take anything that I say as gospel truth unless you can reconcile it with scripture. My opinions have zero weight of authority. The word of God has all weight of authority. I hope that there's some level of trust that I love you enough that I try my best to show you what scripture teaches, but where I am in contradiction of scripture, throw it out the window. The word of God alone is where our authority comes to, comes from. What does the scripture say? <clears throat> And then here's how the verse ends. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Genesis 15, let's go back to the Old Testament. I, I kind of just want to show you with your own eyes that this isn't just being made up. Let you see this with your own eyes. Genesis chapter 15, <clears throat> find verse five. Genesis chapter 15, find verse five, read with me. And he, that is God, took him, that is Abraham, outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. I love the fact that as you're reading through the Bible, if you know nothing about the Bible, just pick it up. You're only 15 chapters in and you are shown how to be right with God. Now, I believe that that's taught even earlier than this. Back in Genesis 4, if you remember, God offered Cain grace if he would turn. But that one's not quite as clear as this one right here. There's actually quite a bit of deep theology here. The plan is next Sunday, we're going to come back and specifically study this sub point within this point of what does it mean that he and we will be credited as righteous or counted as righteous, imputed as righteous, reckoned as righteous. What does that mean? Oh, it is good. It's, I can't wait for it. Next Sunday, we're going to study all of those things. So there's actually something really deep that is said here, but even as a cursory reading, how can I be right with God? Believe. Believe. By faith, it is shown. Believe and God will reckon it to you as Righteousness. What you see happening here in Romans 4 is the Bible interpreting the Bible. That's a principle, by the way. The Bible teaches us how to read the Bible. 
Oftentimes, there is a passage of scripture that is kind of confusing, but then later on, God will look back and interpret that passage for us. I'm going to tell you another little principle. Just hang on to it. I think you'll find this one uh, as a help to you. Oftentimes, tuck it in the back of your head. Oftentimes, God will predict what he's going to do, then do it. And then later on, God will interpret what he's done. Let me say that again. God will oftentimes predict what he's going to do. Then he will do it. And then later on in time, he will explain what he did. That little principle right there is going to help you understand a whole lot of prophecy from the Bible. But think about it with Abraham. Genesis 12. Remember, we got that list of promises that God made to him. One of the promises there is, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all the nations. You will be a blessing to the whole world. I don't think Abraham understood all of that of like how all of that was going to go down. But then we have Genesis 15 here. Abraham believes God. It's counted to him as righteousness. God just blessed Abraham in like the greatest blessing of all time, the receiving of eternal life. Later on in biblical history, Romans 4 and other places in the New Testament, you have God giving more explanation and interpreting what happened there. This is shown to us even in the Old Testament, God is explaining that by faith is the way that it has been. So in Genesis 15, he's counted as righteous. One little help to you in another passage that I'm going to try to get to as we work through these sermons. James 2 has some difficult parts to it. We're not going to go there right now, but it's my hope to get there in this course on faith. Genesis 22 is when Abraham obeys God in regards to offering Isaac as a sacrifice. But understand this, in Genesis 15, had Abraham died at the end of that chapter, chapter 16, where would Abraham have gone? He would have gone to heaven. Genesis 15 is the moment that he was forgiven of his sins and counted as right with God. That is what we must understand. Letter C Abraham was credited as righteous. You, you see that language used there in verse three. One of the things that we're going to see is that uh, Greek word is used nine times in Romans four alone. It's a big principle in point, but that will be more next Sunday. But the quickest version of it is when you turn to Christ in faith, you are not actually righteous but we are counted as if we were. We are counted as righteous with Christ's righteousness. And then letter D, when you work for righteousness, you get declared righteous as your due. Look at verse four, back in Romans four. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. What that verse is saying here is this. If you had the ability to do works of obeying God fully, the law of God fully, then justice would demand that you have eternal life because you are righteous. That wouldn't be grace. It wouldn't be God giving a gift. It wouldn't be God giving favor. It would be, well, this is your wages. You obeyed God perfectly, it would be wrong of God to not give you eternal life if that's the way that it went. 
Now, of course, what we keep seeing this passage show us is you and I are incapable of that. But what he's setting up there is that we understand the difference between wages and grace. You cannot be saved by wages. You cannot be saved by God giving you your due. You and I can only be saved by grace, by gift, by mercy, by God showing favor. Letter E, by faith, the ungodly are made right as a gift. Look at verse five, the last sub point that we have here. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. You are unable to achieve right standing with God on your own. God does not owe you eternal life as your wages, as your due, but there is a way for you to have eternal life. It is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you notice that word there, ungodly? It's an incredibly important word. God justifies the ungodly. It's incredibly important. Let me tell you one of the reasons why this is important. As you and I have read through and worked through this passage, I, like, I, I, I get it. Like It is just abundantly clear. God says, I, I mean, more than a dozen times, the whole point of chapter four is to say, the only way you can be made, made right with God is by faith. You're probably going to get tired of hearing me say that, but know that the Bible is repeating it over and over again. Like this is just repeated again and again and again and again and again. If you are in a discussion with somebody who is trying to tell you that works is the way you're made right with God or faith plus your works, which is a common, common belief. If you're in a discussion with somebody, take them to Romans 4, drop the mic, debate is over. <laughs> Except, never underestimate the lengths that people will go to fight their position to the death when their ego is involved. See, sometimes when folks get to arguing, they become emotionally attached to their position. And even if they're like clearly shown to be wrong, I would rather die than admit that I'm wrong. And so sometimes as you get to talking with folks and sometimes even those who know the Bible, they're not interpreting it rightly, but they know verses of the Bible. You can be talking with them and you're saying like the whole point of the chapter is by faith. And they're going, mm -mm, nope, nope, nope. It's faith plus your works. And they'll come up with reasoning like this. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you some reasoning that you'll hear. See, what God does is he makes you able to be good. And when you're good, then you earn righteousness. See, like you believe in God. And then whenever you believe, God comes and he, he enables you to be righteous. And then you earn your righteousness. That is the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. That God makes you righteous in the sense that he helps you obey God. And then after obeying God, then you get eternal life. And to that, sometimes you just have to say, if, if you're not willing to be honest with the text here, I don't know what to do, but do look at verse five and see something very beautiful. God is not saying here that he justifies the godly and obedient people. Who does he justify? He justifies the ungodly. He justifies the wicked. And Christian, can you just in your heart scream amen and thank God? 
He justifies the ungodly. That's your and I's only hope. He justifies the ungodly. When the thief on the cross looked to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, I am so glad Jesus did not look at him and say, sorry, bud. You needed more time to make yourself righteous. He looks back and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's justification. That's the ungodly in a moment, given all of God's righteousness, brought into this kingdom, brought into this grace in a moment. That's our hope. Our hope is not that God takes good and obedient religious people and says, all right, I guess I'll let you in after a million years of purgatory. Our hope is that God comes to the ungodly and says, I will receive you right now if you will believe, if you will trust in my son. See, friends, we have to understand the order and the chronology. We do not get good and then get saved. What God wants to do, he delights in this, saving wicked people and then making them good. He delights in coming to the ungodly and then saying, look what I can do. And then he turns them into godly people. God came to Abram while an idol worshiper. That's astounding. Abraham was not a good, godly, awesome man. And God said, I need that guy in my kingdom. I'm going to come to him. He worshiped the moon. He was a moon worshiper. And God grabbed him. He said, I'm going to take you to be mine. And then over the course of time, from chapter 12 to chapter 15, God was working, God was working, God was tilling the soil, God was stirring things. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 15, a moment comes where all he does is believe. Bam, everything changes. Everything changes at the moment of belief. That's incredible. That's the miracle. That's why the gospel is grace, not by our wages. If you've been thinking that you got to clean yourself up and then maybe God will accept me, one of the things you don't understand is God delights in coming to the wicked so that he can say, watch this. Now understand this. This can be misunderstood. God's not saying works don't matter and all that kind of stuff. All that's coming in chapter six. You turn to Christ, you do need to know, oh, he's going to make you godly. If he has to drag you kicking and screaming, he's going to make you godly. There's going to be progress. Thief on the cross, had he been given more time, he would have shown his faith by his works. You do have to understand, you come to Christ, you're coming to obey the king. You ain't, you ain't coming to snub his grace. You're coming to obey. But know this. You come to him right now and God will begin the project, a project he loves to do of taking the wicked and making the transforming them. And even in this life, the progress that you make in Christ is a way that you are showing the power of the gospel. It is a way that you are showing the grace of God, but even more so when we come to that day in the kingdom of heaven, when the great story is told and your life story is shown and people see, and there's gonna have that 
shameful part where the deepest secrets and our worst sins are brought to light, God is also going to show the power of his grace and look what I did in his life. Look how I transformed her. God takes the ungodly and transforms us. But it begins at the moment of faith. So to you who have not yet turned to Christ, for you who for whatever reason in your mind you've been holding back or not believing or maybe thinking, Pastor, you don't know how bad I've been. I do know this. The Bible tells you you ain't been so bad that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse you. You ain't, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't more powerful than he is. He wins. Whatever your reason that you have been holding back, trust Christ. Turn to him. Cry out to him. Pray that he would save you. You don't have to have all the right words. It's not a formula of this. God will look on you with mercy. And one of the things you'll learn later, he's even helping you in the process. Look to Christ invitation that I so often give is if you want to talk to somebody about that, want somebody to pray with, ask some more questions, find me before you leave. Let me close this in prayer. Oh God in heaven, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for salvation. And Lord, we just collectively say thank you for the unique way you did it. You could have caused salvation to come by various ways. You could have required a certain amount of money or whatever, but you have done it in a way that shows your glory the most beautifully. Thank you, oh God, that you've come to us. Father, and I want, I want to pray for every Christian in the room and I ask, oh God, that we will obey you out of love and joy and gratitude for saving us. And Lord, those in the room that have not yet turned to Christ, please, oh God, draw them to yourself. Every doubt, every stumbling block in their minds, every error in their thinking, overcome all of them and cause them to turn, cause them to believe. Lord, we love you and thank you. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. God bless you all. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's message titled, How Can I Be Right with God? Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.